Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am joined by Erica Anderson. She is the founding partner of Proteus International, and she's calling in from Spain today. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thanks. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get into why you're in Spain, how that all came about as well, because I know you're splitting your time between New York and Spain, which is a fascinating story. But before we do that, let me ask you what I like to ask everybody right at the top of the show, and that is, what are three things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know or understand? I really like this question because it's easy as an entrepreneur to get like one thing in your one be in your brain and just go, you know, so I do think there are some things. And the first one is um, to really be clear about what's most important to you. First about your business, to have a clear vision for the business. Why am I creating this business? What, how am I hoping to help? What's the point, you know, to be really clear about that. But also to be really clear about yourself and you personally how you're motivated. Like I remember I was talking to somebody years ago who was thinking about starting their own business. And he said to me, but I hate selling myself. Yeah. And I thought, well, dude, it's good that you know that. <laughs> but it's going to make it really hard for you to be an entrepreneur if that's true. You know, totally. so that's thing one. And then thing two is kind of related and kind of related to that story I just told. There's a, there's a concept that we always use often use anyway in coaching called being a fair witness and it's something that i stole from uh, robert heinlein stranger in strange land and i won't tell you the whole story of the book but in this book there's a profession called fair witness there are people who are fair witnesses and a fair witness in the book is somebody who is trained and then bound by law to only speak either from their direct personal experience or observable data so it's, okay. they have to be absolutely objective, right? And what I've noticed is that when we're entrepreneurs, we can lose our objectivity really easily and just kind of cherry pick data, right? Oh, no, this is going to work out great because, you know, my mom yeah. thinks it's going to work out great, right? And so yeah. it's very important to be a fair witness about yourself like that guy was when he said, I don't like selling myself, you know, to be a fair witness about the situation. Is there actually a niche for my product or service? Do I actually have the expertise that I need to offer this product or service? You know, just really to be objective and accurate because the, the person who's going to fool you most sadly is yourself. You're going to, it's going to be very easy to try and talk yourself into and out of stuff that isn't actually true. So it's really important to get into that fair witness mindset when you're starting out as an entrepreneur and, and to keep doing that. Yeah. And then the third one is very practical just to have enough capital. I have seen so many businesses, good businesses go belly up over the last 40 years because great idea, a lot of motivation, good person, maybe, good, you know, but they just didn't have enough money to sustain them through that first part where you're making everything happen. And, and that's an, another place where it's really important to be a fair witness because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, 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 I got enough money to last me for two months and that'll be long enough. No. <laughs> yeah, having that runway, right, is so, so critical. And exactly. you have grown your business. You've scaled up a lot because how, how big is your business now? Oh, like it's year to year. It's between 
five and seven million dollars now. So yeah, it's so substantial, and you're twenty plus people anyway. I would think, right? So how many? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yeah. Okay. So thirty-two yeah. members. So so you've scaled that, and that's what I find is that. Um, I was really careful and was able to be on top of things with regard to the capital. It wasn't an exercise that was too complicated until we started to really rapidly scale. And that is where I really uh, struggled because the amount of capital I needed and if we had any later payments from some of the clients or bad yeah. debts that were occurring, anything like that, those yes. were just so, so painful in those scaling period of time because it required so much capital that you're putting out there. So instead of that payroll being, you know, $10,000 is yes. now $30,000 and so on, right? Yeah. Like, it's just like, yeah. oof. Yeah. Every little area. Yeah, and you have to, point. to your point, you have to make sure not to, to stay. I mean, so what you're spending and what you're making are never going to be exact, but you have to make sure you're not getting too far out ahead of yourself, unless you somehow have some deep pocket person who's going to, you know, make up the difference. But yeah. just to, you have to be very um, clear and very intentional about the investment spending that you're doing. And that's where the fair witness thing really comes in handy because it's like, okay, we're gonna get a little bit out over our skis here and we're gonna put $50,000 into this thing that we really think will allow us to scale up to the next level. Will it really? What are the odds that that $50,000 investment is really, you have to be, you know, you have to do ROI analysis on your own stuff or, you know, you can really get in trouble. Yeah, completely. And I'm really curious about the the witness, the fair witness um, idea there, because one of the things that I just jotted down when I when you were saying them, because I always like to take a, a few notes with uh, with it, because I think everybody comes at it with a different uh, so, yeah. something interesting and new that I can take in. And I've never heard anybody reference this book or this concept before. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just thinking, okay. The challenge, though, in today's world, it seems to be even that much worse, is the echo chamber that we place ourselves into when it comes to, you know, our political views, our values, or all sorts of different things. And in business, it can be that way as well. So I'd imagine that you must, like, you have to be quite intentional in order to be able to yes. find a way to ensure that you are checking your thoughts, your ideas, your beliefs, uh, your biases against a fair witness or a, yeah. a, maybe a board of fair witnesses. How, how do you advise companies to really do that? Or how have you done that? It's a wonderful question. So we, my partners, Jeff and Laird and I, and now we have a wonderful woman, Marie, who I think in the future will become a partner. Um, we really vet ourselves. Like I can't even tell you the number of times we, one of us will say something and another of us, or even sometimes that person will say, is that really accurate? Hmm. Or do we just hope that's true? Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of just vetting yourself because you, you can, you have to make sure that you're using facts. A lot of the craziness that's happening in our world right now is because people just refuse to use facts, but you have to make sure that you use facts. That's the ground. But then you can interpret facts, as you know, in lots of different ways. So you say, okay, so we think, well, we'll use a practical example. We think that um, our 
change from the inside out workshop is going to be huge with clients. We think clients are going to love it. Do yep. we? Why do we think that? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. actual evidence do we have that that's true? Well, one client really loved it. All right. That doesn't sound like evidence. That sounds like one person's opinion. So can we ask people? Can we look and see what's being bought in the change space? Can we, you know, take 10 of our clients and say, here's what this workshop is. Would this be interesting to you? Would it be interesting to you at this price point? You know, you just have to gather data yeah. and and look for data that is not going to, you know, you, you try to overcome your own confirmation biases and not look for data that's going to reinforce your already pre-existing opinion. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what you yeah, do. And I like that example that you give because uh, one of the things that we do as a marketing company for uh, clients is when they're doing that, when they have a new product, a new service, a new offering that they're trying to put in or that they're thinking about developing, what I always try to do is catch them before they've, they've gone through the effort of developing it all uh, because right. the market might not actually want it. And so that's one of the, the challenges is that you, you do get people's opinions oftentimes where they're like, oh yeah, no, that sounds amazing, right? Uh, but the question is, would they actually purchase it? <laughs> and that's a different different question. And some of them will say, oh yeah, I totally would. But you put that offer, then you build it all out and you put the offer in front of them and then it's like, uh, crickets, right? Yeah, and, it was a good idea. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And one of the things we've done a lot over the years is that much of our IP has been developed because clients were already asking for it. Yeah. Right? So you're responding so, to the market's exactly. desires. Responding to the market's desires rather than just having a groovy idea that you make up in your head. So so yeah. whatever you can do, and you know, I mean, you know, you're you're a marketing guy, you know you do you can do A B testing, you could I mean there's all kinds of ways you can test. Yeah. And it's I I've seen so many companies just go over a cliff because especially when they have some high energy founder who's like, trust me on this, you guys, this is really going to work. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We're in a situation right now with a client actually that is, has gone forward and spent a tremendous amount of time developing yeah. an app. Uh, and I'm really concerned as to whether or not the market is actually going to want it because I didn't feel that they did enough market research in advance. Yeah. And so yeah. my yeah. advice to companies who are listening today who are doing that is, is actually, uh, pitch it to the marketplace as if it's already done um, exactly. and just run a really, really inexpensive marketing campaign. So um, the example that you gave where it's like, okay, so maybe we have a new workshop that we think yeah. the market's going to want. Okay, well, let's create then an ad. Let's create a landing page for it as if it's ready and let's register people for it. So we're going to run, say, 500 bucks an ad span. And we're exactly. going to just see, okay, how many people are actually going to click through that demonstrates interest. And then from a pricing standpoint, we can determine whether or not we got the price right based off of what percentage are actually registering. Now they're going to register for something that isn't available actually yet. It hasn't been built out. And so then we respond to those people after that and say, oh, sorry, this actually, uh, we got ahead of ourselves or there was an error or whatever we want to say, a little white lie, uh, just saying that uh, we, we're actually putting this on hold for another uh, few weeks. And then you just build, you work your butt off and build it if the market is, has yeah. started to buy it, right? I and think that works if it's, a, if it's a thing where the development is pretty quick. We, I, yeah. I, Our stuff has a long development time, usually. So we're yeah. much more likely to get, we have 
the good thing is we have many very long relationships with clients, client companies and particular individual clients that we've related to for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And they're kind of, we call them FOPs, fans of Proteus. So we can go to them and say, what do you guys think? And they'll tell us the truth. We it, one, one, um, one book I wrote, not the last book, but the one before is called Be Bad First. And it's about how to be a master learner. And oh, one of the okay. things we, I, and I talk about these four mental skills that are critical to be a good learner, to be a master learner. And one of them is called neutral self-awareness, which is exactly what we're talking about. You have to be accurate about yourself as a learner to know where you're starting from, right? And one of the yeah. things, one of the tools we talk about for neutral self-awareness is having good sources. And how we define that is people who see you clearly want the best for you and are willing to tell you the truth. Oh yeah. Yeah. At least the truth as they see it. Right. So yeah. I think that's absolutely essential for entrepreneurs in all aspects of their business to have some people, whether they're clients, whether they're peers, whether they're friends who, who really see you clearly see you warts and all really want the best for you. So they're not trying to hurt you and are willing to tell you the truth. You know, that's yeah. big. And yeah. if you can, if you can have some of those people, they're like silver and gold, right? <laughs> no doubt. So now we've kind of danced around a little bit about what it is that you do. We kind of referenced slightly that you, you have a consulting business and that you're working with a lot of different firms. And so um, can you tell us the problems that you're solving over there at Proteus and, and uh, I guess uh, what kind of service or offering you're providing to businesses? Of course, I'd love to do that. So our our mission or why we exist, and it's always been the same for these 34 years, is that we make it easier for people to clarify and move toward their hoped for future, individuals okay. and organizations. So we make it easier for them to get clear about what is the future I'm trying to create for myself. And then we have a whole variety of ways of helping them, you know, make that real, make it a yep. reality. And so our offer to do that, all in support of that, we have three practice areas. The first one we call coaching and it's executive coaching. And we coach individual executives and we coach teams of executives to operate better as teams. So okay. because our belief is, okay, so it's we can help you get clearer about the future you're trying to create for yourself. And then as a leader, as a group of leaders, become capable of achieving that future by having the right mm -hmm. skills, the right mindsets, the right capabilities. So that's practice area one. Practice area two, we call transformation. And that's more on the organizational level. We have in that we have a vision and strategy practice where we work with groups of senior leaders to, we have a wonderful, uh, a wonderful approach, a wonderful intervention, I guess, that we've been doing for 35 years to help this group get clear about, okay, where are we starting from? <laughs> what are we trying to get? What's our hope for a future? Where are we trying to get to? What's in the way? And how are we going to get there to make actual practical plans to get there? So I like okay. to think of it as we make vision strategy a very practical exercise. The aspiration of vision and then the nuts and bolts of strategies and tactics, right? So that's and, one and of our for big that. 
And for that, do you dig right into, you know, the strategic business aspects or is it still yes. more on the soft skills, uh, the people? Oh, no, that's that's helping this group get very clear and make really clear plans about, OK, so if that's the future we're trying to create. What are the yeah. three or four big super highways, the strategic paths we're going to walk down and then tactically who, what, when, what are, how are we yeah. going to actually make that happen? Okay. And then, so that's one of our big offers in the transformation practice. The other big offer is our change management approach. And we have a mm. wonderful change management approach. That was my most recent book. And it's, prem, it's, it's, it's predicated on the belief that even if you're trying to make a change that affects 50,000 people, the way for it to be successful is to have the greatest possible number of people make that shift mentally and emotionally in their heads where they're okay with the change. We call it the change mm. arts. Go through their, the natural human resistance, hesitation to get to the point where they're like, oh, okay, I can see how this could be good. And then we yeah. have a five-step process for kind of cascading that individual shift through the whole organization. So the, our, our accelerating change process, so change from the inside out. And then the third offer in that transformation area is just process improvement. You know, mm -hmm. there are so many, so most companies have just terrible processes and they really get in the way of creating whatever future, whatever thriving, whatever growth you want. So we, we do yeah. a lot of work helping that. And then the third practice area is leadership development. And we do management and leadership training. And what I think distinguishes our approach to management and leadership training is it's very practical. And, mm -hmm. and it is what people call soft skills. You know, it's listening and feedback and coaching and delegation and building strong teams. So it's a lot of them are interpersonal skills, but we approach it in a very practical way. So it's not mm -hmm. just you should listen. It's literally how do you listen better? Like, how yeah. do you build a cabinet? You know, it's an actual skill and you can get better at it. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we do, so that's what we do in the leadership development. We have, we have courses in all the areas I just talked about. And then in those just core management and leadership capabilities and mindset shifts that people need. So that's our drill. Yeah. And we have, that's about, awesome. yeah, it's wonderful. We have, uh, between 25 and 30 consultants, mostly in North America, but we have one in South America, a couple in Europe, and um, and then a small, wonderful, high-level staff that supports everything. So. Now, I talked about at the very beginning when I introduced you that you're calling in today from Spain. And so yeah. this is a business that you founded in the U.S. and you've grown yeah. it there. And now for the last uh, half a decade or so, I suppose, hey, you've been spent a lot of time over in Spain yourself personally. So tell us why you're making that shift over there. Um, and then I want to get into the impact that it's had on your business and how you're operating your business from another continent as well. So it's been, um, it's a very complex question, but I'm, I always try and reduce things to their simplest parts. So um, Great. so I'm just about to be 72. So I, when I turned 65, I said to my partners, okay, you guys, now I'm cutting back to full time. <laughs> right? I love that. We yes. started working 40 hours. And then over the next, uh, and then I said over the next, 
three or four years, we'll figure that out. But then really, as I get towards 70, I want to back out. I want to, as I said to you earlier in, in Spain, the word is semi-jubilada, which means semi-retired. I don't, I'm, I don't think I'll ever not want to do this at all, but I want to really pull out. I want you guys to manage the company day to day. I don't want to sell by the time I'm 70, 71. I don't want to be selling. I don't want to be delivering to clients. I want to be the internal support. I'll advise yep. you guys. I'll write. I'll do special projects. So we've spent the last five years making that transition. And we didn't start spending a lot of time in Spain until about two years ago. So it worked worked really well. While I was still, you know, working with them to run the company day to day, while I was still selling, working with clients, I was in America, you know, in the U.S. And now that I'm not doing those things, it's very easy for me to do the things I'm still doing with Proteus vast majority of the time like this online, you know? Yep. So, um, and, and I think we've been, I'm very proud of us. I think we've done a really good job of making my shift as minimally disruptive to the company as possible, yep. which is, which so is a lot. I mean, you know, I'm the founder and I wrote all these books and blah, blah, blah. So it's good that it's working. Yeah, it and it is like for you to say, you know what, as we're still in the middle of this, but what we've done thus far seems to work really well. Um, I I'm just applaud you for that, because this is a really, really difficult thing. And I know there's a there's a lot of people who are in our audience right now thinking about that transition themselves. Um, I, for one, have that on my horizon and the not too distant future as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious, the advice that you would give to people who are thinking about doing something similar, how do you advise somebody to transition? What advice would you give through that? I'd imagine nail your systems, what you were talking about before in terms of the process, make sure that your business has the processes in place. That's got to be a core one. But this, there must be a, a few other things that you've learned yeah. along this journey yourself that you could share with us. Absolutely. So the, the foundational one for me is make sure that you really trust your partners, that your yeah, partners okay. you really trust each other, that you trust each other's like in speed of trust, that you trust each other's competence and that you trust each other's character. Because when I've seen it not work well for a founder to pull him or herself out, that's one of the main things that doesn't work is they don't real off. And usually it's the founder. They don't really trust the people to whom they're giving the business to run it. And so then they leap back in and they second guess and they do all that kind of stuff. So you really, really have to make sure that you trust whoever's going to be you after you're not there, that you trust both their character and their competence. I would say that's yeah. my foundational advice and really be a fair witness about that. If you, yeah. if you think about, okay, I'm going to be in Spain. I'm not going to even come to this yearly meeting that they're having. Is that cool with me? Do I feel like they'll do a good job? And if you can honestly say yes, great. And if you can, then you got to figure that out, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's thing. So, yeah. So you have a few more though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then thing two is be very, very, very clear about the roles and how the roles will shift. 
you know, I've, I've seen founders also just kind of, oh, this one guy, especially he was the worst. I won't, there'd be no way that you'll know who he is, but he was just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just be kind of chairman. You be the president. You be the CEO. It's, it's fine. It's fine. We don't really have to worry about it. It'll be good. That is just a recipe for disaster. Just be very clear. What? Are, how, okay. So a year from now, when I'm only working 20 hours instead of 50, what am I going to be doing? How's that going to be working? What are you guys going to do instead of me? Who's going to do it? Are you guys going to do it? Are you? And 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 make sure to, that you, as the founder, don't try to dictate everything. You know that you can say, okay, this is what I feel comfortable doing. What do you guys feel comfortable doing? How are you guys going to? pick up my slack. How are you guys going to fill in for the things I'm not doing? You know, so yeah. that it's a very clear collaborative process. So that's thing two. Yeah. Okay. And then thing, thing three is just keep checking in. I mean, I probably say Larry and Jeff and I now are at a point, this seems so wonderful to me. We have monthly partner calls. Once a month, we have partner calls. I talk to each of them weekly, but we have monthly partner calls. And on pretty much every one, I say, okay, you guys, should I be doing anything differently? Is there anything you're worried about? Is there anything that I did that was really good that I should keep doing? And here's my feedback to you guys. Just keep that feedback live because, you know, if something starts to run off the rails, if you, you know, if you catch something right here, it's easy. If you catch it down there, it's already crashed into something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm just wondering about like so that's checking in with the partners, but do yeah. you also have to do some some internal checking in too? Because this is new ground for you as well, and so you might be thinking that you're going to be very happy giving away this aspect. You are wonderfully insightful, Lance. That's the biggest thing. In fact, you'll think this is funny. I think so. The book I'm writing now is about how to get old well. Okay. And and how to create the later life that you want, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a big part of it, one of my principles in this book that I'm writing is be the boss of your life, especially as you get old. Don't give up, don't drift. And part of that is create a clear vision for the future, for this latter life that you want to create for yourself. And for me, I was trying to you know, eat my own caviar, practice what I preach. So for me, it's been exactly what you talk about. I, I think a lot about who, who am I now? Who do I want to be when I'm 75, when I'm 80, when I'm 90? Given, I mean, that I might not be alive, but if I'm alive, what, what do I want to be doing? How do I want to be spending my life? What impact do I want to be having on my family, on people around me, on the company? I think that's absolutely essential. And again, the, the founders that I, and not just founders, but entrepreneurs of all stripes who I've seen have, have a really hard time making this particular transition. The, the ones that seem to have the hardest time are the ones that do the least self-reflection. Yeah. Who either assume, oh, no, 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 it'll be fine. <laughs> or who try and just keep operating like they've been operating since they were 30. Or yeah. just avoid it somehow. You got it. It's it's it, it requires courage. Anything new requires courage, right? Well, and it doesn't surprise me that somebody who teaches and helps and consults with all these businesses with setting their vision and making sure that they have the right plan, the roadmap to achieve that, that you are doing that. But I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that will probably 
think about, yeah, I need, and they understand the need for that within their business, but they probably uh, sometimes forget about the need for it in their life, right? In terms of that vision. And so I really like what you were saying there, um, where you were talking about, you know, like leading your life um, and not letting life lead you essentially, right? It's the flip side of that. And that's the problem I think that we get when we're in any of those transitions. But definitely, I think when we transition out of our business um, and then it's like, okay, so now what? Oftentimes people just kind of let life take them as opposed to the other way around. Oh, that's a great way to put it. I think that's exactly right. And one of the things that I encourage people to do, and that I'm writing about in this book is, as you, if you've decided that you don't or don't want to or can't work in the way that you've been working and you want to go in a different direction, you want to lead a different kind of life. One thing that I think is really important to do is think about what was it in your, what has it been in your work life that you have most loved, yeah, that you've yeah, most yeah. loved, that you've been most excited about. I read this great um, article, I think, kind of about this. And it was this guy who, who was a big executive in some company and he decided to retire and he thought about all the practical stuff. Do I have enough money? Where am I going to live? You know, but he realized once he retired, he didn't think at all about this, about exactly what we're talking about. And so he did a lot of self-reflection. He realized that the thing that he had most loved in his whole career, independent of what job he had was learning new things. He loved learning new things, almost independent Mm -hmm. of what they were. So the denouement of the article was he went back to school and when he was 86 years old, he got his PhD in some (laughs) crazy thing like microbiology, just because it was so much fun to learn this whole new thing, you know, as a teaching assistant, it just was having a hell of a good time. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's critical for anybody, especially since most of us as entrepreneurs and founders were so identified right? With our business. So to take that step back and say, what do I really love about this? And for me, I'll use myself as an example. My personal mission is very aligned with Proteus's mission. My personal mission is to help people become who they want to become. Yes. And I'm going to be doing that until I fall down. Right. Yeah. So now I'm finding many other ways to do that than now that I'm working, you know, four hours a day or three hours a day with Proteus versus 12 hours a day. It's like, okay, what are other ways that I can help people become who they want to become? Right. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, you can you can tackle that one in so many different potential directions. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. You know, you've been at this business for quite some time. Uh, how, how many years now with Proteus? 34 years. 34. Okay. And, and you've obviously, you've worked with a ton of different entrepreneurs, a ton of different businesses. Um, what has been, and then now you're in this transition phase that's happening right now. What has been in that span, the biggest challenge that you have faced, um, whether that was in an earlier stage of the business or maybe it's now what was or is the biggest challenge that you had to face? I think for me anyway, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, the biggest challenges are always, and I can think of two specifically where you think, you know, pardon my French, holy crap, this might just blow up now. Right. And the first time I experienced that was in 
1992. So it was only two years after we started the business. And we had a two month period with no income, yeah. no income. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I had this fledgling business. I was the primary breadwinner of my family with two little kids. And it was, it was such a, okay, what am I doing here? And, and for all the things I started at the beginning, what, what's most important to me? Let me really be a fair witness about what's happening. What do I need to do now? And, and, and it was clear I could say, okay, let's just give it up and I'll go find a regular job. But if I want to move this forward and try, what do I need to do now? What's most important? What's most urgent? What's most critical? What resources do I need? So there's a kind of a, when you come to those challenging moments, there's a kind of a stop and really think deeply about the most uncomfortable things and then decide what your path is and commit to it. So that was the first one. And I don't think I, I don't think I had one that was that difficult again until the, until the pandemic, uh, when, yes. you know, in March or whatever it was, April of 20, 2020, Laird and Jeff and I sat down and said, okay, what are we going to do? You know? Yeah. And we did that same thing of stop, craft a vision, move toward it. And what we decided at that time was that the three most important things we wanted to do are continue to help our clients do the best possible we could by our folks, especially the folks that, you know, were employees and worked for us and not go bust. Yeah. Those, were, those were our three, you know, goals during that. And, and we did okay. We did fine. We came through it, you know. Well, yeah, you're here today, right? I mean, so, so exactly. you definitely did. Um, going back to 1992, when the, the first major challenge yeah. there that you're, you referenced, where do you get the strength or where did you get the strength to then persevere through that? So it's one thing to say, you know what, I, I sat there and I, and I figured yeah. out, you know, I, I yeah. reevaluated my, my vision, the values, uh, the direction I planned, I, you know, and I decided, yes, I'm going to commit, I'm going to keep on moving here. But where did the strength come from? Ooh, that's a wonderful question. Well, part of it, and I don't know how helpful this is, but part of it is just um, my original business partner, who I haven't talked about, who helped me start the business and then let me buy him out after a couple of years. He just wanted to help me get started. He used to say this great thing about that the, the, mo the best mindset is to be confident without being cocky. Mm. And he told me that he said, you have that in spades, Erica. You're really confident in yourself, but you're not cocky. It's not a confidence that's based on nothing. You're confident and you, you know what you have to be confident about. And at that time in 1992, I felt like I know we have a good product. Clients have wanted it. We've done this for two years. I think we're just in a rough spot right now. And I know what I need to do. I need to really focus on selling right now. And I can do that. And I think I know how to make that work. So that's what I'm going to do. So it's that. I wasn't like, yeah, sure, it's fine. I'm not going to have any problem. But I felt, you know, there was that. It was that kind of confidence. And it was a fact-based confidence. I know who I am. I know what I can do. I know what I need to do. Let's do it. And also, it really helped that my um, my backup plan was pretty I mean, I was pretty confident that I could go get a job making more than nothing. 
know, so that was my backup plan, and that made that felt pretty good. But yeah, there's yeah. a kind of there's a kind of a just a kind of solid confidence that you have to have to be an entrepreneur, or or you'll just kill yourself. I mean, you know, yeah. you have that. Yeah, no, it's it's very true, and I I think for a lot of us um, entrepreneurs, you know, there's. There's there's stubbornness oftentimes that yeah. <laughs> we're too damn yeah. stubborn to to give up yeah. as well, um, yeah. which is a quality, but it can also be a, a little bit dangerous too. But it I, can I really be. Like that. But I love. I want to pick up on that because I love it. That kind of stubbornness that you know people call it resilience. It has to be modified by fair witnessness. Because some people yeah. are just stubborn all the way down off the cliff, right? So you have <laughs> to, to you have to at the same time say, okay, but am I being realistic? Stubborn yeah. is great, but if I am just, you know, throwing good money after bad, that's not that's not the right approach, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. So now, if you could send a letter back in time to your younger entrepreneurial self, and it, maybe it's it's ninety two, maybe it is. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I'm not sure, but any t point in time, you could send a letter back in time. What would you say to yourself? What advice would you give you? I would say be kinder to yourself, Erica. I tend to be a pretty hard grader, you know, of myself. Yeah. I'm a yeah. much harder grader of myself than I am of other people. So yeah. be kind to yourself. Be as kind to yourself as you are to your friends, I would say to myself. I'm okay. always... I did, you know, that's a self-talk thing. We talk to ourselves badly. And so I remind myself to do that and just keep taking a long view. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that, isn't that the truth in today's world? It seems like, and I'll, I see this amongst a lot of new entrepreneurs where they're the timeline in which they're thinking they're going to achieve certain things yeah. is way more compressed than what it used to be um and what what you know historically we would think that we would take it would take us to get there there's this instant i don't know if it comes from the instant gratification you know drivers of our world and our personal lives and so on uh but it definitely seems to be happening more and more on in the business world yeah yeah, and that that is so true, right? Like, yeah, I really, I really agree with that, Hans. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. I think one is that everything is faster. Things, everything just keeps speeding up. And you know, if you have a new thing, competition can, ha you know, other people can get it fast. You know, it's all faster. Everything's faster. Yeah. But and so that's true. And you probably, we probably all have to operate faster than we did 30 years ago. But the 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 other, the problem is that the stories we tell and the stories we hear about entrepreneurism tend to pretend that things happen instantly, you know, and we all know that like an actor who's a quote unquote overnight success, that person's probably been taking auditions for 10 years before they got their first big break, right? So That's we right. don't hear that part of the story. So yeah. just that's what I mean by take along you remind yourself that there's a lot that you've done to get here and there will be a lot that you'll do. And this particular thing that's happening right now, don't make it like the biggest thing that I, you know, just take the long view. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great advice. Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and, and all the rest of your insights, Erica. It's been a real pleasure to have you here on the show today. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to connect with you, where do we send them? 
Oh, I would send them uh, to a variety of places. You can see me or Proteus on LinkedIn. I'm just Erica Anderson on LinkedIn. Um, you could go to the Proteus website, which is good, which is proteus-international.com or my website, which is ericaanderson.com. And there's a lot of you know synchronicity between the two. And your books, I'd imagine we'll be able to find them on Amazon or where? Yes, they're all on Amazon. And also you can find them on, there's a resources tab, both on the Proteus website and on the Eric Anderson website. So. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much again. And for those of you who are listening today and really enjoyed this episode, you want to check out some other entrepreneur stories, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. You're going to find Erica's as well as everybody else's past and future. So check it out. And of course, if you haven't subscribed already to your favorite podcasting platform to get the latest shows, definitely do so. Just search Amplify Your Business. You're going to find us there as well. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thank you once again, Erica.